So in 2009, there's a 57-year-old man called Bob Herdsman. And he weighed 168 kilos. And Bob entered the Australian Biggest Loser house weighing in at an enormous weight. And over the next, I suppose, a couple of months, he, along with the other contestants, hopefully this thing works. Does this thing work? Go to the next slide. He and the other contestants underwent an incredible exercise and fitness regime. They changed their diet. They transformed the way they lived. And the reason I remember this particular series is because I was dating my wife, Danielle, we used to sit down and watch a little bit of TV at night. We'd crack open a block of Cadbury chocolate and watch the contestants eat their kale and lentil salad and feel really sorry for them. And they'd, they'd do their training with Commando and they'd eat these, you know, these, uh, you know salads and uh, underwent this incredible transformation over a couple of months. And Bob walked out of the Biggest Loser house weighing just 80, just over 80 kilos. He'd lost 87 kilos in a couple of months. He was crowned the Australian biggest loser. He pocketed $200,000. It's not a little, little bit of a prize on the side, but it was an incredible transformation, as you can see, just over a couple of months. And I think we all love inspirational stories of people whose lives are transformed for the better. Give me a wave if you love a, an inspirational story of someone whose life is... I think it's human nature we all... Love that. Um, and today I want to un just unpack a, a, a scripture from John chapter 5, a passage of Jesus' ministry, and just have a, a, I suppose, a look at um, the transformation uh, power of the grace of God. If we can go to the next slide. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, you can uh, read along uh, behind me. It begins, it's, it's titled, The Healing at the Pool of Bethesda. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is covered by five, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie. There was the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And there was one man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Well, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else always gets down ahead of me. Then Jesus simply said to him, he said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Now, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. It was a Sunday or the day of rest in the Jewish culture. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, hang on, hang on, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, well, the man who made me well has told me to pick up my mat and walk. And they said, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I wanted to spend a few minutes just unpacking this passage, uh, this, this uh, wonderful miracle of God's grace and power transforming this paralyzed man's life. And the passage begins in verse 1 with Jesus being in Jerusalem for a religious festival. We don't know which festival it was, but we do know that instead of going to the temple uh, on the Sabbath, he goes down to a place called Bethesda. And Bethesda is also uh, is translated as the house of mercy. 
And he goes to this place where a large number of sick people used to gather around these pools of water. And as Jesus is there, his eyes land on a crippled man. And he learns that this man has been in this condition for 38 years. He must have inquired. He must have asked around and, and, and sort of said, what, what's the deal with this guy over here? And 38 years is a long time. Who thinks 38 years is a long time? You know, if you can think back 38 years, if you can, if you're old enough, you know, there was no internet, no social media, no smartphones, not sure how people survived back then. There wasn't even seatbelts in the back seat of the car, come on. And, uh, you know, there was no, if you had to listen to music, you, you were listening to audio cassettes. Who misses the audio cassette? You know, I sort of think if you've never made a mixtape on an audio cassette, you haven't really lived life, you know. So, but 38 years is a long time. It's a very long time. And this man has been paralysed for 38 years. And he asks him this question. He says, do you want to get well? And it's a bit of a, an unusual to question perhaps to ask someone who has been sick for so long. But if you read the man's response, he actually doesn't answer the question anyway. Probably would have made a good politician. You ask a question on the economy, you get an answer on climate change. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but, but this man, his response is to begin to list off all the obstacles. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says, well, hang on, hang on. I've got no one to help me get better and, and I'm in this place of Bethesda. And as a little bit of background, um, this place called Bethesda, uh, the people used to come and, and gather around these pools because they thought that when the waters began to stir, the first person in, in the water would be miraculously healed. And it was actually a little bit of a scam that was set up by the Romans at the time and they actually even paid people to you know, pretend they were healed so they could make a little bit of money off, uh, off these people that were in such a, a disadvantaged situation. So this man, he, he thought he was in the right place. He'd come to Bethesda, he was trying to, you know, get in the water, trying to be healed, but he was really living in a false hope. Even, and he said, well, even if the waters do move, there's no chance I'm going to be first. I'm, you know, paralysed. I can't be the first one in the pool anyway. So he doesn't answer the question, do you want to get well? He basically says, well, look at my life circumstances. Even if I want to get well, it's not going to happen. See, I've been trying in my own strength. I've been you know, putting myself in the right place. I've, uh, you know, there's nothing I can really do. Nothing's changing. I'm stuck on this mat and there's no way I can change even if I want to get well. But little did that man know that Jesus was talking to him that day. Jesus, who alone is the fountain of living water. And I love that Jesus hears what he has to say and he simply says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Do you know the Bible says that at once the man was healed and then he got up, picked up his mat and walked. See, Jesus' response wasn't to rebuke him or make fun of him. He listens to his life circumstance. He understands where the man is positioned in life. He understands the situation that he's in. He says, I can see your situation. I can understand you can't bring change by yourself, but I can. And I've come to meet with you today. And at the words of Jesus, the man is immediately healed and his life is transformed. You see, I love this miracle because it does rest entirely upon the initiative and grace of Jesus in this situation. You see, Jesus brings restoration, healing and hope to this man entirely by his grace. You see, if you, we, we just read the, the passage, the man didn't show any merit of his own for this healing, did he? He didn't even ask for it. We don't even think he wanted it. He didn't answer the question. 
He had no knowledge of Jesus. He had no faith or trust in him. He didn't even know it was Jesus who had healed him at the end. Yet Jesus picks him out of a crowd, learns about his situation and goes and meets with him and by his grace, he heals him and transforms his life. What a wonderful example of the grace of God. And, you know, the grace of God is a pretty familiar term you might hear in church life or or Christian circles. And I just want to just, I suppose, pause and just unpack that just for a little bit this morning. What do we mean by God's grace? What does God's grace actually mean to us in 2021? You see, in theological terms, and I might have a slide that can come up uh, that, that defines this, it says grace is defined as God's free and undeserved favour towards us and us not getting what we deserve. I suppose this is both in terms of God's justice for our sins and in terms of the abundance of God's blessing towards us. He gives us what we don't deserve. And I want to illustrate grace with just an example today because sometimes I think we, it's hard to get our head around And I want you to just imagine, just use your imagination this morning and just pretend you're driving your car down the road in the morning, just going to school drop-off or on the way to work or whatever it is you're doing, going for a coffee. And you're driving along and maybe you've got some crazy kids in the back that are arguing and fighting and crying, throwing sultanas at the window, you know, it's a mayhem and all of a sudden your foot just hits that accelerator a little bit too hard and you start creeping over the speed limit. Or maybe you're driving along and you just, your favourite song comes on. You know, you start singing and you're just driving. You start just, you know, I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like I'm somewhere. And your foot just goes down and all of a sudden before you know it, you're 20 k's over the speed limit. And you look down you think, oh my goodness. And there's red and blue lights flashing and the policeman pulls you over and says, hang on, you've been, you're 20 k's over the limit. I know you have to use your imagination here. That would never have happened to anyone in this place. But just picture yourself in that situation. Now, there's three, well, it's probably more, but there's three responses this policeman can have to you breaking the law. And the first response is justice. There's probably a slide we can move on to. See, justice is this. Justice is getting what you deserve. You've broken the law. Justice would say, well, you get a fine, that's a ridiculous amount of money, you lose three demerit points, you know, and, and that's justice, you've broken the law, you, that, that, that's the response of justice. And that probably happens the majority of times. But there is a, a response of mercy. See, mercy is this, it's, mercy is not getting what you deserve. If the policeman was merciful, he'd come up to you and say, well, you know, I can see the kids, you know, mucking around in the back, I can, oh, that's my favourite song too, I'm going to be generous today. You've broken the law, but I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to show some mercy to you today. I'm going to just give you a warning and let you go on your way. And that's, you know, if you're lucky enough, that's you, you know, you can have that response. And you don't get what you deserve. You've broken the law, you deserve a fine. But mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace is not just getting not, it's getting a bit confusing. It's not getting what you deserve, but it's getting what you don't deserve. So imagine this, imagine the policeman comes up, not, not only, you know what, that's cool, we'll, we'll show a bit of mercy, just a warning today, no fine. And the policeman goes, and you know what, I'm going to give you a $1,000 travel voucher so you can go and take your family down to Victor Harbour for the weekend. And I'm going to give you a $500 Coles voucher so you can, your groceries are sorted for the next couple of weeks. 
And you know what? Here's another voucher to go and buy some new clothes. And as he's walking off, he says, and here's $100 Uber Eats. You don't have to cook tonight. And, then, and you know, that, you're sitting there going, that's absurd. Well, you'd never have a policeman do that. You'd never have a response of grace. But that's what grace is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You've broken the law. Imagine if you walk away with a couple of thousand dollars worth of vouchers. You know, everyone would be like, which policeman's that? You know, I'll go and find him. But that is the response of grace. You're getting what you don't deserve. And that is the foundation of the Christian faith in God's grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. You see, God's grace and mercy for us is not only has he shown mercy in, in, in not giving us what we deserve, and the mercy through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. You see, we all fall short of God's standard. We live in a broken world. There's no way we can meet the standard that God has set for us. It's outlined in Romans 3.23 and in many other verses we might be familiar with. We all fall short, but by God's mercy we can be reconciled with God, have relationship with Him. We can enter into relationship and and, and a life and a salvation through Him. You see, God took the initiative and saved us so we don't get what we deserve. And it's not because of anything we've done. We can't do any works, we can't earn it, but it's purely because of his mercy. But not only that, but he freely gives us access to a life, relationship and blessings that we don't deserve here on earth. And that is grace. That is God's grace. You see, probably a verse up on the slide, John chapter 1 verse 16 and 17, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ you see God has saved us and he also wants to give us blessings in this life in different ways in different times but I think it's a grace for salvation but also a grace for living as well and how do you receive this extravagant gift of grace well it's free it's not by works it's not by deeds there's nothing you can pay to get it but simply by turning to God in repentance, turning away from our life and, and submitting our lives to him, and secondly, having faith in and accepting Jesus in who he is and what he's done for us. You see, I think God's grace can be hard for us to understand because we live in a society that runs by ungrace. It's the opposite of grace. You see, this society, we rank people by their achievements. We hold people accountable for their actions. We demand justice when things go wrong. We, we insist on reciprocation and fairness. But, you know, grace, by definition, is unfair. It is unfair. You know, grace is a... a you, 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 by definition, you're getting what you don't deserve. It's unfair. But that is what God has for us. You see, I think... Um, you know, I, th- I think I, even if I look back in my life, I found it probably hard to get my head around. And maybe when I was younger, I sort of understood grace intellectually, but probably hadn't really penetrated my heart. You know, when you live in a culture where you have to work for things and you, you earn things and, you know, if you haven't put in the hard yards, you shouldn't get rewarded. And that's just the world we live in. And I remember in my mid-twenties, uh, you know, I was working at a church and I was, uh, you know, living in my calling and I was, you know, passionately serving uh, the Lord and, 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 you know, really involved in church activities. And then all of a sudden, over a couple of months, I came quite sick with glandular fever and a type of sort of f- chronic fatigue set in and it really just 
you know, impacted my life, you know, physically and, and, and emotionally and in many other ways. And I, literally over a couple of months, I felt like the rug had just been pulled out from under my feet. You know, I could no longer go and participate in the activity that I was doing. I was sleeping 16, 17 hours a day. Um, I literally had no strength. I couldn't, you know, I remember one day I checked the letterbox and I came back in. I went back to bed and went to sleep. You know, I was just really fatigued and went through a, a real, um, yeah, a, a time of like a desert experience. You know, and, and it felt like my calling had, you know, slipped away. My dreams had gone. You know, a lot of the friends and the social activities were gone. And I remember after some time, I began to, you know, become a bit dry in my faith and, and begin to question God, well, why is this happening to me? Uh, you know, why am I in this place? And, and over a period of time, God began to, I suppose, point out that, you know, my faith had begun to be based on my works and what I could do for God, not what God had done for me. And that was one outcome, like, I suppose, a real silver lining of this experience. I began to rebuild my foundation on God because all of a sudden I couldn't go and do things at church. I, you know, I felt like I couldn't, and maybe I'd slipped into the fact that I could earn, you know, God or earn his love by doing things. And, and my faith had become based on works more than grace. And, you know, God began to give me over a period of time a revelation and an understanding of the, his grace, that he accepts me for who I am, not what I've done, it's what he has done. And I remember there was one verse that I held on to at this time, uh, probably a verse you might be familiar with, um, and it's, it's this, and we, I think we'll have it on the screen. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, over the, the next season of my life, I began to learn to accept and, and have God's grace in my life in, in, in different ways. And it's a grace that promises spiritual blessings. It's a grace that's freely given. It's a grace that gives encouragement and hope. It's a grace that cannot be earned by works. And I began to experience his grace and, and, you know, I had to resign my job as a result of it, so I was unemployed and, and, and I turned to God and said, well, I need you to come through here. And literally the fortnight that I sort of ran out of any sort of type of leave, a new job came up and his grace was sufficient in my employment. But then I had to start the job. I'm thinking, how can I start a job nine to five if I'm sleeping 16 hours a day? And, and I turned to God and said, I need your grace in my health and, and this area fatigued. And, and it gave me enough. And I just began to get through. My capacity began to increase. And year after year after year after that, you know, just it's been a gradual thing when God, God's grace has just been sufficient for me in different areas of my life, you know, having children and that, the whole, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, expansion of your capacity that comes with that and in my job and different things and even now uh, participating in different ministries at church. But over the years, I've always turned back and said, and, and I can look back and see God's grace has been sufficient every step of the way, every step of the way. For me, it was a gradual uh, I suppose, process of, of God's grace, just, just being in my life. You know, the, the paralyzed man, it was, a, it was an immediate healing. For me, it was a gradual. And God's grace works in different ways in all of our lives. There's no one way that it happens. But I want to ask you this morning, what area of your life do you need God's grace in? Because his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. And maybe this part of your life you ha you've been sitting on a mat for a while. Maybe you haven't been able to see the change that you've wanted to see change in. Maybe you've been trying in your own strength and you haven't been able, able to overcome. 
Well, I believe good change can come through God's grace. Just like with the paralyzed man, just like my life, change can come through the grace of God. And I don't know what it is for you this morning. Maybe it could be an addiction you've been trying to, trying to work through and it just hasn't happened in your own strength. Maybe it's an attitude that, you know, God's been putting his finger on. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is a physical healing. Maybe it's an area of your faith journey with God that you've just been stuck in the same place for a long time. You know, I believe God would say his grace is sufficient for you. And this year is the, t- the year to, to begin to get up off your mat and his grace will carry you through that next season of your life. His power will be made perfect in your weakness. And just as we move, just as we move uh, towards closing this morning, I want to look at how do we respond to God's grace. Because here in the house of mercy, uh, not there, in the house of mercy, mercy and Bethesda, God's Jesus' grace shone through and the crippled man was healed. But you know what? He had to take action. He had to leave what he knew and do something he hadn't done for 38 years. You see, the passage tells us that he's healed immediately, but then he had to get up off the mat and begin to walk. And I just want to picture what that would have been like. I've got my New Year's resolution down here. (laughs) Hasn't been getting much use. (laughs) But this man has been on this mat for 38 years. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, talks to him, and he feels, he's like, well, Jesus is telling me to get up. But he hasn't walked for 38 years. I reckon there would have been a little bit of hesitation. He would have had to stretch out the hammies, <laughs> try and work. And, and I sort of picture him as, well, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I feel like something's happened. And I picture this man, he sort of probably got up to his knees, and it would have been, you know, some hesitation and, oh, oh, I haven't done this for a while. And he's sort of halfway up. But then I, he goes, oh, I've got to go the, go the whole way. And he begins to, begins to stand up. And, and I reckon he would have got to about here and there would have been a little bit of doubt. And he would have gone, well, that mat's looking pretty comfortable. That's where I've been for a while. It might be just the easier option just to get back down. But he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up. And he begins to sort of stand and I don't know how long it took. It could have been a pretty long process. But eventually he stands and goes, oh, this feels good. Haven't done this for a while. But he's got to do some more. So he's got to pick up his mat. And then imagine he rolls it up and then he's got to walk. And I reckon the first few steps would have been a little bit shaky as he sort of picks his leg up and takes a step and the crowd would have been sort of getting pretty excited and he begins to take one step after another and begins to walk out of that place doing something he hadn't done for a very long time. You see, responding to God's grace requires action. If he'd stayed on the mat, nothing would have happened. And if you want to live in the grace of God and see change in your life, you're going to have to respond with action. You're going to have to do something maybe you haven't done for a long time. See, it might be hard, but I encourage you, be obedient to Christ. Put action to your faith because his grace is sufficient. Have you ever wondered why Jesus told him to carry the mat? Why didn't just Jesus just leave the mat there for the next person? You see, I believe carrying his mat showed people who Jesus was. 
See, as that man began to walk out of there, we read it before, the religious leaders started to get a bit funny. And it amazes me. They didn't go, wow, I can't believe this guy's walking. He hasn't walked for 38 years. They said, hang on, it's the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. Why are you carrying your mat? That was their response. Pretty, pretty amazing, really. You see, the Jewish laws were pretty clear. You couldn't work on a Sabbath. That included lifting up a mat over a certain uh, a weight allowance. And carrying his mat out of there, I mean, we could unpack the rest of John chapter 5 where it talks, I suppose, it, it, you know, the purpose of this miracle is as much about Jesus telling the Jews that he's Lord of the Sabbath, that he is God, he can heal, he can work on a day of rest. But this paralyzed man, by carrying his mat, it showed people who Jesus was. He said, well, I've been healed. He told me to. He told me to. And you see, just as the man carried his mat, showing, Jesus, showing people who Jesus was, you know what, each one of us has a mat to carry to show people who Jesus is. You know, your mat is your testimony. Your mat is where you've come from. Your mat is where you've been, but it's not where you are right now. And we can all say, I used to be on this mat. I used to struggle with this. I used to be bound by this. I used to have chains in this particular area. But by God's grace, I'm not on the mat anymore. But I'm carrying it because I'm not going back there. I'm carrying it because I want people to see that God's grace has transformed my life. You see, your mat reminds you of where you were when God found you, about how his grace has transformed your life. You see, you know, I think the greatest evidence for the existence of God and the Christian faith is the, tr- is the story of a life changed by the grace of God. There is no greater evidence than a life changed by the grace of God. And that's for each one of us to carry. That's for each one of us to begin to walk out as we walk out of here on a Sunday and go through the week, carry our mat. We tell people how God's grace has changed us. You know, and you probably know the story of John Newton, um, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He grew up in the 17th century. There might even be a slide that we can go to on that one. And he was a militant atheist. He was a wild and angry young man. He joined the Navy, eventually got kicked out because he was too wild. That's pretty hard to do. He was hated and feared by his crewmates and eventually became a slave trader. You might have seen the movie Amazing Grace. And at the age of 23, his ship encountered a severe storm off the coast of Ireland and almost sank. And he called out to God as the ship filled with water. And on that day, on the 10th of March, 1748, almost 273 years ago to the day. God rescued him and John Newton gave his life over to Christ. He was transformed by the grace of God that day and began a new life, active in his faith, in prayer and devotion. And eventually, we know the story, joined William Wilberforce in the movement to abolish slavery at that time. You see, his life was changed by the grace of God and he picked up his mat. And began to show people his testimony and how God had changed him. And I just want to finish with this quote from Newton. I think there's a slide on that one too. It says, I'm not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. Amen. Simply by the grace of God. Maybe Jack could come and play. Just invite you to maybe just close our eyes and an attitude of holiness and reverence this morning. See, the grace of God is undeserved but freely given.
Why? Because God loves us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's given each of us a second chance through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if there's maybe someone here this morning. You say, Dave, you've been talking about the grace of God and how God can transform someone's life. And I want to know what that is. I've never really accepted God's grace. My life is, I feel like I've been stuck on a man. And this morning, if that's you, you say, I want to invite Jesus to be a part of my life. I want to experience this grace for myself. And I just want you to lift up your hand and give me a wave. If you're here this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. It's the greatest thing you can ever do. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and I just sense there might be people here this morning. I want to ask you, what area of your life have you been trying in your own strength? What area of your life have you struggling to see change in? I want to remind you this morning, I believe God wants to speak into your heart that His grace is sufficient for you. His power made perfect in your weakness. And Lord, we're just so grateful for the grace that you have for each and every one of us. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter where we are right now. You love us and you give us what we don't deserve. Lord, we're so grateful for that. So grateful. And Lord, I just pray that if people have areas in their life they need grace in, Lord, just begin to minister to people this morning. Begin to take us on that journey to live in the grace of God, to live in that relationship and the blessings that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. You know, just as we close, I'll just invite us all to stand. I'll get Jack maybe to lead us in a song. If that's, maybe God's been speaking to you this morning on something, just spend this time, just a couple of minutes, just begin in prayer and worship. Just allow God to speak to you this morning.